Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. Hi everyone, I'm Emily and I'm absolutely fine, but I am reading, well, I say that actually, but I'm not, I'm trying to read the most exciting book of the year <gasps> that is the sequel to the most exciting book that Annabelle and I ever read on I mean, holiday. it practically ruined my life. It's called I Am Pilgrim <laughs> and I Have Yet to Recover. Anyway, three years we've been waiting for the sequel. It is the most exciting book that Annabelle and I ever read, I Am Pilgrim, and I cannot... I literally, every page I read, I go, I don't know what's going on. My brain is just stop function. Do you think it's menopause? I think it's menopause. It's I think it's Christmas. I think it's overwhelm. And I've just, I've actually just got to stop and put it aside and read it in the holidays when I've got some time. Yeah, because that's going to happen. I'm, yeah, but I'm just ruining it for myself, which is a fucking miserable experience. Anyway, there we go. Year of the Locust. How are you, Annabelle? Well, I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely fine. But I can't... I can't get it up for Christmas. I can't start. I've got this head of steam of panic building up inside me. And yet I've got a sort of calcified paralysis. I can't begin. I can't shop. And I'm becoming, it's making me miserable, actually. So thank God. Today on the podcast, we have a woman who starts. She does. She starts thing. I mean, does today's guest really actually need an introduction? Nah, not really. After all, who didn't watch What Not to Wear in the early noughties and cry and laugh with the women Trini and Susanna transformed? Who hasn't marvelled, marvelled at the success of her beauty brand, Trini London, and the way she made Instagram her own? This is a woman who has made a career out of trying to help women feel better about themselves. Over the years, she has learnt to feel fearless, and now she's written the book on it. So we are thrilled that she is here to share some of that courageous wisdom and to talk to us about how she finds the confidence, hell, the energy the to keep energy, Emily. to keep flourishing so magnificently. Welcome to the podcast, Trini. How are you? I'm absolutely fine, but I'm the Ritz Hotel of mice. I have a mouse <laughs> infestation in my house. It's beyond our control. Uh, you, you wouldn't begin to imagine that I also own a Lurcher and a Jack Russell, but do they give a shit? No. Are they playing with the mice? Yes. Do I? Are the mice so confident in my house that they play in the kitchen together when we come down? You've got to be kidding. So You, you make know, it sound like Cinderella. It sounds charming, no. these playful dancing mice. Until you find mouse droppings everywhere and then you put them on Instagram and they go, is that a rat? And then you go, and then you go, you put your ear up to the walls and you hear so much scuttling it's like a house party so i i have brought in pest control on a big scale they laid down so many bloody traps inside which they say i'm sorry for anyone who's a vegan they poison them because we've tried everything and they mummify oh my god and then the so, smell and then there's no smell because they mummify now, I don't know if this is the most humane way, but the only way, and half the people might switch off now, but I've tried <laughs> everything. I've tried talking to them. I've yes, tried. Like, you've tried asking them nicely. Like, to nicely leave. to leave. <laughs> then we tried the kind of high-pitched noise, which I seem to hear, but not the dogs or obviously the mice. <laughs> then we've tried, you know, the kind of thing where they jump into a thing, get bait and come out again. You know, they're meant to trap in there, but they get out again and they seem to get the bait. And it was peanut butter. I mean, feeding them peanut butter, they're going to, more mice are going to come and stay because they're going to say great restaurant at number one. So anyway, I'll wake up and there'll be one scuttling across my room. Also, you know, I, you know lurchers, they're sort of Jack Russells, they're killing machines in the park, but obviously sort of deeply relaxed and indifferent at home. Exactly right, Annabelle. They are like, oh, what's that? Yes, my enormous cat killed a rat yesterday and ripped its face off. 
So that was cosy. God, I need your cat. Well, frankly, you can have him. Speaking of Trini's mouse-infested house, we are looking into her dressing room as we record. And it's like a symphony of sort of like rich lady, you know, luxury. And yet, you see, this is why she's amazing. She goes, oh, it's Ikea. I shoved a couple of these together. I got a a wardrobe, you know, didn't put the doors on. And there's this, I mean, this is the thing is you are a person who finds solutions, Trini. Yes. Has that always been the case? Yes. I think I've done so many weird things in my life that never got anywhere. But I suppose I have. Even like six and a half at school, I was finding solutions to pierce girls' ears without pain and it was antifreeze. <laughs> <laughs> a highly toxic solution. They no longer have earlobes, but nobody cries. I read no. on um, I read on your Wikipedia page, and I don't know if it's true, that, that you got sent home from school for cutting off a fellow girl's plait. Yeah. And I wondered whether that was one of your first makeovers or whether that was just an act of, uh, she'd annoyed you somehow. <laughs> that was vengeance. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's interesting, a person, and this is a sort of slightly diggy around question, but famously, and I know, you know, full disclosure, I've known Trini for 20 years, and this happens in her personal life as well as her professional life. You have dedicated yourself to helping women feel better about themselves, you know, but people will often look at you and they'll see a fully formed success. But what I want to know is how bad and lost does a young woman, a young Trini have to feel to start to make that their driving motivational force? Because you have to empathise with the shame and the fear that these other women are feeling in order to be able to dive in and do what you do. I think whether you're doing telly or you're doing a podcast, you need to gain intimacy as quickly as you can with somebody. You know, you need to read their body language. You need to see what makes them tick. You need to understand where they maybe feel a little bit unconfident and then you need to sort of gently, delicately play this dance where you where you get their confidence and then you start to have a conversation which has meaning. So that's always been something that you, I think, do best when you're very aware of other people and how they feel. And I think when you're going through shit in your 20s and you're taking too many drugs and doing this stuff and you're feeling like rock bottoming on a daily basis, when you finally get clean and you change your life around, you're very overaware. You're like a raw onion in overawareness, you know, and you, I remember I, I came back from a year being away and I'd been in this halfway house in Western Supermare, pretty cruddy, and I had a panic attack going down the street and I thought, my God, me, more front than Brighton Beach, panic attack. But it was just that there was no protection anymore. There was no layers of, of let's try and create a personality because I don't think I've got one. So When you've been through that journey, and we can all do in various different guises go through that kind of journey, you are more self-aware of people's vulnerabilities because you've had quite a few yourself. And so therefore, maybe you can know the language to speak so they can hear you. And I think the art of conversation, the art of a great podcast, the art of making somebody over, the art of communicating to a global audience when you have a makeup skincare brand, you want to talk about why these things are important, is that you've been there and you know that feeling. Mm, I mean, Emily, when you stopped drinking, your hypervigilance around reading the room and other people's moods was out of control for a while, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, I mean, certainly what sort of framed my drinking on the other side as well, being a teenager in a sort of dysfunctional family environment as well, makes you so hyper aware. Then you go through a big period of kind of numbing it out. And then suddenly you have to, you know, you stop. And then you're in all of the feelings, yours and, and everybody else's. And it is quite a sort of like, ah! 
And I do, I agree, it makes you hyper aware of the fact that we're all carrying around this vortex inside because we've heard so many stories and so many people have shared with you and with us or whatever, you know, stories of their own kind of dysfunction. And I think knowing that everybody feels that way. That we're not in it. That we're not in it. Alone. Exactly. It's a kind of huge advantage. But Trini, if we go from the panic attack through to the, we just leap for a moment, leapfrog to the present day. There's going from fear that's so intense it's producing physical symptoms to a book called Fearless. Yeah. You know, which is where we're living now. So you talk in your book about how finding fearlessness is really the road to confidence and joy. And joy is a lovely word. It's a better word than happy. It's a better word than content. It's a beautiful word. So what does a life lived in fear look like? How do we know if we're living in fear? Because sometimes it's hard to connect with our own feelings. I agree. One great way of knowing is when you're incapable of making decisions, because I think when we're fearless, we think, okay, let's do it. And that sort of, what shall I do? What shall I do? Back and forth, back and forth, because you're fearful of making the wrong one. Um, So I think that's a very good indicator. The title of the book is more fear less and be more, as opposed to fearless. I want people to give it to each other and, and like you're a fearless woman. But I think it is that, how can we just fear less in our life? Because in times when I've overcome my fear, and there was a book, which, you know, if you've been through uh, a recovery program, but it's called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. It was a book that came out in the 80s or late 70s, really brilliant book written for sort of psychotherapy. But in it, it was that you can be paralyzed by this feeling of fear, or you can recognize it and acknowledge it. Say, okay, I know I'm fear scared of this. That's where all those sort of inner child workshop came about of that, you know, hug your inner child I find it quite difficult to do things like that but there is an element of moving forward if you look after yourself inside a bit more a random example of this is Lila had great anxiety when she left school and she had it for a year and I felt there's this black big crow that sits on my shoulder okay and that represents fear because what that would do is that would chat in my ear and it will go, na, 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 and you'll go, oh, oh. And, and so what I do is I go, piss off. And I just, <laughs> I, I hit it. Okay. So when I was trying to educate Lila in my ways of dealing with stuff, and I had sent her on this EMDT tapping stuff for a few months with this brilliant woman. And so I was saying, when you get that feeling, and you just go like, wallop, I, I'm walloping my hands if it's a, a and Lila goes, mummy my lady told me to just stroke it and look after it because it's my inner child. And uh. I was like, okay, I get it. I, and then I didn't cringe at all because I thought, you know, sometimes I'm tough with myself to move forward and sometimes we need to be really kind with ourselves to move forward. And I think she taught me in that moment that we also have to be really kind to ourselves and not give ourselves a hard time. And that can in itself also release fear. Mm. That's really moving as well. I mean, Annabelle and I are so hard on ourselves and we definitely have admitted that we look ourselves in the mirror and we're like, come on, Rivkin, come on, McMeekin. Like we speak to each other in our kind of like last name. Gordonston in yes. 1965. Put on your big pants. Yes, exactly. Yes. Get the fuck out of Stop whining. You know, just yeah. like sort of exactly like, and, uh, and you're right, actually, sometimes we need to say, yeah, Emily, you know, you didn't win today. It's okay. Tomorrow's another day. It's going to be mm. all right. But also, uh, Trini, can I ask you about, and I think this might have been something that your late ex-husband, a theory of his, about mm-hmm. the 99% way of dealing yeah. with anxiety. Yeah, and I, it's one that I still live by, which is 99% of everything you worry about never happens. And I, you know, I am a warrior. And he would always say that to me. And I would be so 
irritated when he would say it, you know. And if I, you knew Johnny, but the, I'd be irritated, you know. But how do you know, Johnny? How do you know it won't happen? <laughs> exactly. And and he was right. So I do say it to Lila a lot. You know, when she went off to uni, I put all these post-it notes around her room because she had that real, I, you know, I didn't know how it was going to go. And it was she went abroad to Spain and I put post-it notes. You know, one of them was by her bed saying, get up and get out, you know, get out the room, <laughs> don't lie in the darkness, don't have to do duvet therapy. Another one was sort of in by her mirror, don't pick your spots, you know. Uh, and, 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 another, another one was that 99% of everything you worry about never happens. There was another one, you never know what's behind the closed door, you know, and I, I, there were like 14 post-it notes and I spent the night with her in her university digs for the first night and then she didn't want me to leave and it was all, and then she did a gratitude journal and stuff this is a girl who when you meet her you think she's so like this but there is that fear and that sort of child who's been 16 to 18 in covid really has had i think a challenging time in this but anyway wind the movie forward two weeks i have a different child and it's superb it's the relief like people would say to me you know oh you must feel sad she's left and i was like that first week when i came back i was just so desperate that she would stay that she would yeah. be okay to stay. It was my biggest worry is, will she be okay enough to stay? And now she's like, it's the biggest joy in my life. But the only thing is, before the mouse moved in, I had <laughs> two boys move in because her brother moved in, my stepson, because she thought maybe I didn't want to live on my own. And my nephew had at some stage asked me if he could stay. So I run a frat house, but it's a joy, actually. The word joy, Annabelle, it's such an important word, that. Because yeah. there is that, you know, in I think the underlying thing for me in this book is what can you do that can allow you to bring joy into your life? And also, you know, when we talk things like beauty and skincare and stuff, for me, the vanity matrix, it's about, do I look in the mirror and do I feel full of energy? Or do I look in the mirror and I feel tired? It is that black and white. Because if I feel full of energy, I need hardly any makeup and I can just slap on an old moisturizer, you know, but it's the time that I look in the mirror and I think I need some nurturing here. I look exhausted. I feel exhausted. I feel more exhausted because I look exhausted. And what can I do for that? You can put on colors that suit you. You can do products that flatter your skin type, you know, but energy and joy are the two biggest North Stars that I have in my life. Yes. If you are feeling exhausted and looking in the mirror, what is the one desert island thing that you will do to save your face? Which of your products will you use? There isn't one. <laughs> okay, you're allowed I mean, three. Okay. <laughs> I'm not an unreasonable woman. You can have three. <laughs> I would do something. So, because for people who, you know, can't afford my products, face yoga, which I'm obsessed with now. I've done it for seven weeks. I did through my life Botox, I've tried threading, utterly painful. Never go there again. Um, I, I did <laughs> You filler. mean thread lift? Yeah, I mean, just excruciating. Oh, the fish hooks. Jesus. And then I've done filler under my eye troughs, which I wouldn't do again either because it occasionally would pop up. So I'm kind of like, I'm over that time. But what can I do with the face I have? So I do know that what skincare would do if it's really proper ingredients is it would change the texture of your skin. I know that beyond a fact. And I know it's less invasive than heavy fraxels or lasers, which can really be invasive. So two things that are most important things that any person can have are an SPF 50, because it will prevent any further damage. If I had done SPF 50 at 12, I wouldn't need to use any skincare products now because I'd have no damage on my face. I'm slightly gently repairing. So SPF 50. And then I love exfoliating because I think so many women come up to me and they say, my skin's so dry, what can I do? And I feel I'm like a 
person who's blind, I'll close my eyes and I'll feel their skin and I'll feel around. I know how often they wash their hair because lots of people, you can do this now, both of you, but lots of people who just this hairline here, close your eyes and put your fingers around your face. And just when we just lose the sensory perception, we feel the rest, we can feel if there's surface oil, we can feel if there's dry patches, but we can also feel around the hairline if it's a little bit congested, you know, maybe you don't like to splash the water right up to your hairline. And as a result, there's mm. congestion, which then actually will travel down your face a bit and, and not be so great. Then you can look around your ears and under your chin, just feel, is there any congestion there? Oh my God, the chin, yeah. the hormonal blockages yeah, the hormone disgustingness on the chin. So I, I definitely think, got congestion. Yeah. So <laughs> I think exfoliation, liquid exfoliants are brilliant, but not Glycolic acid, which I think is a really, I just don't love it at all. I think it's a surface irritant and I think people get put off acids. But I think you should get acids that are divided. People suit a PHA if they have sensitive skin, an AHA if they have a strong skin and a BHA if they have an oily skin. But what it would do, it's like I always say, if you're going to polish a table with polish, you take the dust off first. And that's exactly the analogy, because if you don't take the dust off, which is our dead skin cells, don't even bother buying a nice serum because it won't go in. So I yeah. do think exfoliation is key. So that's two. And the third one is probably something I can put on my lips, cheeks and eyes. And I'll take our yes. lips to cheeks and put, I'll put it everywhere. Because I, I'm, I'm even thinking now, you know, there are things in the pipeline. I've got a lab. I have a lab. And I'm you have a lab? Thinking, yeah, we have a, a lab. A moment for Trini's lab. Come on, I know. that's so brilliant. I have a lab. And you know why I wanted to have a bloody lab? Because I was so fed up with the marketing crap that goes into skincare and people buying products and then just shoving a few ingredients in. So we make everything from scratch. And I start with ingredients I find fascinating and I build up a formulation. But I do think that that would be my three. Can I just talk to you about looking in the mirror and feeling tired and not being able to find the energy? Because this is what we hear most. And it's certainly what I feel most is just exhaustion. How do you deal with that? Because, you know, you're busy. Yeah, I particularly as you head through your late 40s into your early 50s. And, you know, menopause is starting to hit and everything's getting a bit confusing. I have tremendous energy and I really do. I mean, I do, but I do because I work at it. And I think that when you hit menopause, there's certain things you've got to confront with yourself and you've got to say, am I going to do this or not? And if you choose to do it, I think you have more opportunity for a phenomenally energetic life. And if you choose not to do it, you'll enjoy the life you have. One of the most important things is your relationship with sugar, because I think your blood sugar levels change dramatically. People talk about, I've got menopausal tummy. All that is, is your ability to process sugar. And if you don't have an ability to process sugar, it's going to sit there. So, you know, when we go into menopause, we think our body changed shape. We think we lose energy. We get hot sweats, all these different things. So relationship with sugar and what are you prepared to do about it? I had chronic relationship with sugar. I'd have four teaspoons in my tea. I'd have copious amounts of vanilla syrup in my coffee. I love puddings. I love sort of, you know, coming home and having bananas on toast, you know, real, get that hit. And I had to put it down. I had to say, I will actually not have such a relationship with sugar because I then have this wonderful hormonal doctor in America, Dr. Eric, who's also in the book. And she talks about the internal glycation of our body, which is basically imagine the inside of a roast chicken. That's what's happening slowly to your body. So sugar accelerates it. I think it's nearly worse than smoking. So I believe very, very strongly you seriously need to look at your relationships with different things. That's one thing. And I also had very, very bad dips during my day. So I always get up at six. But by three, I'm in the office and I've got another five meetings ahead and I'm thinking, oh, get me another coffee. And that is when I would then eat something sweet. 
So now I just try and keep that even. So that's how I have relationship sugar. I start my morning with savory. I have a really big plate of broccoli and an omelette. I follow the glucose goddess. And she wrote a book called The Glucose Revolution, a phenomenal book. But she talks a lot about get greens in before you get anything else in. The order in which you eat your food is important. And I've changed that in the last year and it's had a big impact on my body. And I read The Glucose Revolution, which really changed my mind on sugar. I go to sleep with the book. Then supplements. I believe in supplements. I don't believe that I live in a farm and I'm in the centre of the slow food movement. I live in a central city where by the time I get an ingredient which has vitamins in it, 70% of them have gone. And by the time I've cooked it, there's not much left. So I take about 20 supplements a day. I take a tremendous amount of supplements and I research supplements. I'm obsessed with Andrew Huberman, Huberman Lab, a phenomenal mm. podcast. He's a neuroscientist from Stanford and he talks a lot about different supplements. And over the years for everything I do, I research supplements. Victoria Health, Shabia, who I do lots of lives with, I really research. So I take NMN, which is NMN and NR are two energy giving supplements. NMM is a precursor to the NAC we make in our body and it just gives us this energy. Uh, Andrew Huberman takes both every morning. I've taken NNM for years, but I've introduced NR and it gives me an energy. It's not like, it's not, it's not like uh, ginseng or anything at all. It just actually helps your cells have more energy, but it's brilliant in the morning. I take Magnolia rhodioli, which is a sort of natural antidepressant I get from Victoria Health and I take my hormonal supplements. I take testosterone every morning with my progesterone, um, which I get in America. What, so, a gel? A cream on my on my shoulder, darling. <laughs> but so, so those things for, for the morning, I take those and then I'll do exercise. Every morning I'll do either yoga or Pilates or strength training. And I do it six days a week. So mm. for me, I do look at life and I say, what quality of life do I want to have? And what am I prepared to do to have that quality of life? And how long do I want to look after my body so that it will look after me? My mother aged quite quickly and so did my father. And by the time they're in their late 70s, they really felt their age. I'm going to be 60 in February. I don't want to feel that my body controls me. So how much can I really help it so that I'm optimum, so I can do everything I want to do. So if my brain wants to do something, my physical body can, and it might be looking, that's how I look ahead. Some people look ahead and think I should start a pension. I don't do that because I'm too early in my business. But I do look ahead and think, I really want a body that's well. Yeah. More than anything else. And you can still have a good time. You can still do fun things. People can drink tequila if they want to, because that I think doesn't have sugar in it and stuff. But it's like, just, just you know, do you, you know, if you're listening to this and you're, you're a drinker, do you dump the wine and just pick up the tequila? You know, whichever one That's has what I've sugar. That's what I've done. Yeah. Not, not because I made an informed decision, just because one day I had three glasses of wine. The next morning it was like I'd been to Glastonbury. It's like I'd been like, yeah. you know, doing coke all night. It was a really weird, disproportionate new yeah. reaction from my body. And I thought, yeah. okay, that doesn't work. And that's, Annabelle, the sugar, having that relationship with your body. Mm. There's something else I want to ask you. When you said, you know, sometimes, you know, you look in the mirror and what do you see? And this is, you touch upon this in your book. I think it's in the style section of your book. And you say, how do you see yourself? And I think that's such an interesting question mm. because we so often see ourselves through the prism of someone else's lens, whether it's the patriarchy, whether it's our mother, whether it's our own self-loathing. But how do you think we learn to see ourselves through our own lens, unfiltered by what we want other people to think of us and therefore make some choices? I think that's the biggest question. I am still 
haunted by that question when I read it in your book. I was like, how do I see myself? How do I see myself? I've got to stand in front of the mirror. How do I see myself? And it's such a crucial thing, particularly when so many things are changing around us as well. Mm -hmm. You know, as we hear, Mm -hmm. I'm turning 50 next year, you know, and you sort of think, how do I want to see myself? And not think, how do I want others to see me? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think when you first look and you say, how do I see myself? Whatever idea pops in your head, think, did that originate with me? Or is that because my mother told me at 12, I would always have chunky calves? You know, do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, where did these messages come from? I'm not a therapist, yeah. but I've done a shitload of therapy. But it is that thing of owning. So when you look in the mirror, what do you see? How much of it is actually not generated by you? And then yeah. that thing of what do you know about yourself that other people tell you that are compliments? You know, do other people tell you you're a jolly good friend? You're really kind. You speak up for other people. You're just great fun to be around. You need to remember them. Mm. Um, I think another big thing Back's is... Back's the good stuff. We don't do that, Yeah, do ba- we? we don't do the good stuff. And we need to do the good mm. stuff more. The, another big thing, too, I think we can do is we can... Because we all lead busy lives and we need to state our needs more. So, you know, I left a relationship in March and I thought to myself, am I ready to date? And I thought, oh, don't. But I said to some friends... I'm ready to go out. So please invite me out. Now, lots of people, either I have to look in the mirror and say, nobody wants me out and they don't enjoy me as a friend, but I sort of know myself well enough to know I'm quite fun to be around. They all think I'm so busy because they watch me on my Instagram, my friends, and they think I'm this country, that country. So they just, I'm just off a list because it's like Trini can never come. And for about seven years, I never said yes to anything building this business. I saw my best friends once a year at my birthday lunch. So I've kind of got to get to a stage where I let people know I'm here and I'd love to see you. And I think when we're not feeling great about ourselves, we can think, I don't know who to call. And so what I did... Or even, if I knew who to call, I wouldn't know what to say. Yeah, that's very true. So I made a list. On my notes, this sounds really crazy, but I wrote a list. My friends, who I can call at any time, okay, because you, we'll forget this. We just forget it. So I had Jenny Halpin, you know, but there's certain people who they drop everything for you and they go, what's going on? And so I wrote this list of five women. And so about two months later, something is making me feel really down. And I didn't even think, who can I call? But somehow my notes page was there and I was scrolling through something else and I saw friends you can call when you're feeling down. I literally wrote that in my notes page and I opened it up and I thought I could call any of these people it's a sign. Let me call one of them. So I just called and I said, I just need to call you because I'm feeling shit. Don't know why. And that was it. That's all I said. But we we don't do it enough. You know, we just sit with this feeling and then we tell ourselves messages. And that's when we do need a third party to come and say, hey, 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 come on, girl, wake up. This is your negative spiral going here. Let me just tell you some good things about you. We need to do this more. Or even let me just meet you. You know, yeah. let me yeah. just meet you yeah. in this world yeah. so that, you know, we can look into the whites of each other's eyes, hear each other's voices. And that is not nothing. That is not nothing I've, at all. Yeah. I've started calling people when I'm walking the dog that I haven't spoken to for a while that I would normally, because it's such an effort to meet up. Everyone's like, oh, well, I can't do this and this and that. So now I just call. I say, hey, have you got five minutes? Do you want to have... Sometimes they go, what the fuck? This is an act of aggression. Who's died? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And other times they go, hey, yeah, I was thinking about you, actually. Let's just talk about when we were at school or when we did this yeah. or whatever. And it's incredibly nice, that connection. And I think we forget. We look at our phones and we think, what the fuck are these things are for? But actually, mm. this is what they're for. Mm. Isn't it amazing that you're even saying that? Imagine 20 years ago, 
And we saw a recording of you saying that, thinking, are you not insane? You pick up the phone for everything because it's only a phone. Okay. Exactly. 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 But I think that's a very good one. When I walk the dog, I call people. But actually what I do, I'm not, I'm not the great friend because I love to FaceTime people because I like to see people. So I FaceTime people. Terrifying. You are terrifying. The other day I FaceTimed (laughs) and somebody was in a sauna, but they still picked up the phone to me. And, uh, and you know, and I just, I, I need to see people. I like to see people and, you know, running around, I run around a lot. So my day is not great to go. Like I can't go out for lunch with a girlfriend. It, it would take a bit too much time in terms of what I got to fit in, but I can on the way to thing, just see them. So seeing for me is also important. When you see people, have you always noticed? So, I mean, I mean, long before you started your own brand, what makeup they had on their faces. Has that always been something that's fascinated you? The mask that we put on, the the tools that we use? I notice everything. <laughs> I know, oh, no, yeah. No, I cannot believe you asked her this question. No, no, like, because, so because now it's going to be really tricky. But I can I just say, I notice without judgment, actually, because I, I know lots of people do things for many different reasons. Like, I have this theory that men dress in the way they felt most sexually confident, they lost their virginity. They felt, wow, I'm a man. And they just stick with that look, all right? However <laughs> many years later. And a bootleg jean. Oh, just like, uh, but women tend to do makeup and, and present themselves in a way that when they looked in the mirror the first time, they felt their most appealing as a woman. And so that makeup got them there and they stick with that makeup maybe 20 years later, perhaps the makeup slightly the wrong colour because their skin has changed a bit, maybe that closes up their eyes because they wore a hard, cool black eyeliner and now it's making them a little piggy eye, you know, different things. So when I look at somebody, I just note it. If we were in what not to wear days, I'd say, oh, have you thought about this? But now I wait, you know, we just opened up a Trini London at Liberty. So when I go in there on a Saturday, because I go with Lila, I'm sort of inundated by women. There's queues there. We had to do a ticketing system because there were so many <laughs> people coming to the stand. It was hilarious. But so they'll all come up and say, tell me what you think. And I'm very aware that I will be very diplomatic in how I would say anything. I would never want to hurt somebody's feelings because also if if somebody says, tell me what you think, I'll say, I think you could learn to do eye shade so it lifts up your eye. So let me show you that. So I'll do things like that. When I have cues of people, I went to Australia a few weeks ago and I did book signings and store openings. And there was lots of, you know, we had queues of 500 women at each location around Australia. It was fantastic. But they'd all made such an effort to come and see me, you know. So so they were all in their finery. And so I knew the most important thing was to say, my God, that colour suits you or, or for every woman. It's very easy for me to think of a compliment for every woman because, you know, when a woman's made an effort, the most important thing you can do is acknowledge the effort she's made for herself. It is disconcerting when the makeup that has always been your champion, your faithful companion, your friend, your armour, your mask doesn't do its job anymore. Yeah, it can be. I think it's just that our face changes. Certain things happen. Like we lose shape in our face a bit. You know, I think that's the thing. Our shoulders change. I'm like, I put shoulder pads in everything now. I just want that straight shoulder because I'm, you, you know, as we go down that path of life, we can just slope. So straight shoulders. And then I always think, how can I frame my face? So there's like four things that I always see women will at some stage do. So one is, they forget they have eyebrows. So there can be people who were part of a trend of a thin eyebrow movement or else they had a, you know, they were on the phone. 1993. Um, yeah. yeah. And they were compulsive <laughs> plucker as they were on the phone and then they suddenly looked up and thought, where my eyebrows go? 
But, you know, so it's about how can you frame? So get your eyebrows and just think, do they follow down your eyes or could you lift them a bit and make them straighter? And should you put the extra bit of colour as those eyebrows go out? Because you'll probably have depth of colour in the bit nearer your nose. And as you go out, it might get lighter. So try and even that colour. That frames you immediately. puts you in frame. First thing to do. Second thing to do is what base are you using? Do you use a base which you want the colour of your skin to be? Oof, we've all been there, like, you know, too pale, too warm, too cool. Let's change the colour of our skin. But if we do a base in the colour our skin is, you won't see the base so much. And then if you do a base which is more a tinted serum rather than a foundation, and I don't think, I don't think anyone needs to wear full, full foundation when they're sort of in their 50s. I think we can do tinted serums, very light serum foundations, and just do concealer where we need it. And I think if you you know, the way we put on our makeup. So a lot of us will put everything on and start at our cheeks where usually we have nothing we have to cover. And I always cover where I most need to cover. And by the time I get to other bits, I think actually I don't need hardly anything there. What am I doing? And then blusher. Mm-hmm. A lot of people put blusher sort of down, you know, under, you know, down sort of at the front of their cheeks. There's different trends for blusher. There's a 90s trend blusher, which you put it at the side and above your cheekbone. But I always think the easiest rule of thumb is you, instead of like going up with your cheeks like this and then putting it there and then your cheeks drop, you go from your nose and you go out to the centre of your pupil at an L. Well, the tip of your nose. Yeah, the tip of your nose and you go out towards your cheekbone. And when you hit the centre of your pupil, that's where you apply the blusher. And if you have a very wide face, take it and sweep it straight to the side And if you have a very narrow face, put a bit more colour in the centre so you broaden your face in a way and lift it. And always if you do it with a brush, take the brush and and push the brush up into your cheekbone. Don't sort of go down. So you want blusher to be a little bit higher than lower. It will make your eyes sparkle and it will make your cheekbones look better. So those to me. And then you know, hard eyeliner, just if you still are a hard eyeliner girl, just put it on, but then really blend it out. And then slowly you can get to a stage where it will open up your eye instead of closing it down. But these things do help to what I wear, to call wearing ageless makeup. And the, the final thing is colours. So, you know, we can go and decide we want our hair to be more blonde because we're going to slowly, gently grow grey. I will never want you to see a grey hair that I might have. There's 80% of my hair is grey. I'm never going to let you see it ever, ever, ever. I will be tinting my own hair till I go in the grave. That's just me because I go the shittiest colour grey. And you as a redhead will also, yes, go the shittiest colour grey. So So awful. Whereas if you're a blonde, you can go salt and pepper, beautiful greys. You've got black hair, beautiful greys. Wonderful. I've seen so many women with amazing grey hair, not me. Um, And so therefore, it's what do we do around, you know, the change a little bit. So we might go a bit blonder because we don't want to tint it so much. And therefore, what are the colours that suit you? And try and also think, are you cool or really warm? Is that combination of your skin, hair and eye cool or warm? And there's lots in between. So that's why I did you know, in the book, you categorize yourself. You go through and you you say what your skin, hair and eyes, and it categorizes you into cool, cool, neutral, 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 warm, warm, and warmest. And then when you choose your makeup, make sure that they're warmer or neutral or cooler. Because if you do warm eyes and a cool lip, that's when you look in there and you think, oh, my makeup doesn't look right. But you don't know yeah. why it doesn't look right. So if everything is in that same pocket of warmth, then it's going to beautifully blend together and I always take my blusher and I put it on my eyes at the very end so I br- bring that relationship up and I take a tiny bit of blusher and put it on my lip 
and then put my lip color there. So there's an element of that core central color going towards your eyes and your lips. So everything makes sense, really. That's what's really great about the book is it does help us make sense of how we see ourselves. It has charts, it has colours, it has ways for us to get there if we find that we can't quite get there by ourselves because of years of God knows what. So I congratulate you hugely on everything and on your book, Fearless, Trini Woodall. It's already a Sunday Times bestseller, I think, and um, and it's out now. So someone's going to want it for Christmas. And I'm not letting go of mine. Trini, thank you so much. Thank you. You are a joy. I feel like you're now our fearless leader. I know, (sighs) totally. I love it. Yes, such joy. Thank you so much. Thank you, Trini. Lots of love. Such a lovely chat. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Middle. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe.